All right. Well, a uh, small turnout tonight, but that's okay. Um, but uh, I do want to thank you all for joining. Uh, I do have actually quite a few things going on uh, this evening. Um, I'm going to start with some, uh, we don't, honestly, I, I don't get a lot of straight up just FPV um, type news, but uh, I do want to, I got two articles about DRL um, that uh, are pretty interesting. Uh, the first one uh, is the DRL is brought on uh, Chris Bosch from the NBA uh, to lead a new STEM initiative for them for the 2020, and they're calling it the DRL Academy. Um, so uh, let's see, Chris Bosch, uh, they're calling him Dean Bosch now. He's the dean of the DRL Academy. Um, and uh, Jet, um, the DRL champion Jet, uh, will teach kids about the science behind the sport of high-speed drone racing through newly launched fun educational content series. Um, so classmates tuning in can test their new learnings in the DRL Sim, um, which is available on Xbox and Steam. Um, and it says our sport is for infinite learners. And as parents continue to navigate the new playing field of education, we're excited to offer dynamic STEM programming to supplement remote learning. Um, Dean Bosch had a, a championship career in the NBA, and he's bringing the same enthusiasm, intensity, and dedication that he showed on the court to our DRL Academy. Um, so Bosch, uh, apparently studied at Georgia tech, um, before, uh, jumping into basketball and, uh, he says, I love engineering and technology and believe every kid should be given access to STEAM education. With this year's school closures, I became Principal Bosch for my five kids at home. And now I'm thrilled to announce my promotion to Dean Bosch and help kids <laughs> around the world learn about science through fun, high-tech, family-friendly sport of drone racing league. So uh, I think that's pretty cool, um, starting off a, a kind of remote learning uh, about uh, drones and, and that kind of thing. And it'll be interesting to see how they incorporate that alongside of, uh, you know, their, their software, the DRL sim, uh, which is, uh, in a pretty, a pretty incredible simulator, uh, especially for drone racing. Um, so isn't the DRL streaming live tonight on uh, NBC? Be. I think NBC sports channel has, I thought I saw that where DRL was live to, well, not live, but their recordings are airing tonight. Oh, fancy. So um, for those of you who I, I got to go to the event here in Phoenix, I think most of you here probably already know that it was a pretty unique experience um, and definitely uh, kind of up the bar in terms of audience engagement. And uh, they actually have the software, which I'm actually going to talk about here in a second um, with FanDuel, where you could uh, the audience could download the app and basically predict try and predict the winner and uh each time you got it right there were points and there was a leaderboard up on the up on the big screen at the stadium at the baseball stadium where they were having their races and it's pretty unique to see that kind of audience engagement but speaking of audience engagement and drl i have this so if you're a super fan of drl uh they are starting, they're trying, they're basically signing a deal with Genius Sports. If you don't know, they're a sports betting space. Um, and uh, you can either soon or currently, it doesn't say, um, but uh, you can start betting on the races. So, you know, you, you have about a minute because the races don't last very long. Um, but uh, you have about a minute to uh, figure out who you're going to bet for during the races. Uh, so it says DRL's minute long races collect stats around speed crashes and competition that can be used to set lines for wagering uh, genius sports, which has sports betting partnerships with leagues such as the NBA NASCAR and the English premier league will access DRL data to build a betting product that will be sold to legal sports books around the world. Um, this will be a first ever league sponsored drone racing product available to the fans in you in the U S in April, the drone racing league signed its first fantasy sports partnership with FanDuel, which allows users to join free to play prediction contests for the league's races, which is what I was talking about before. Um, so pretty interesting. If you want to start, uh, testing your luck on, on predicting who's going to win each heat or who's going to win the overall, um, you know, I'm not a betting person, 
and drone racing is just too chaotic for me to actually <laughs> try. I mean, at the races, it was just like, oh, he's gone. Oh, he's down. Oh, he crashed. Oh, you know, it's just like, it's crazy. But yeah, it's going to be just like betting at the dog park. Yeah, it looks like uh, DRL was on NBC Sports tonight, uh, two hours ago. Oh, hey, there you go. Maybe everybody's exhausted from watching that tonight. <laughs> why they're not here. Um, so two pretty interesting uh, things coming out of DRL. Um, definitely dig the uh, STEM program. Um, I, I think uh, something coming from, you know, uh, a brand as big as that uh, will definitely uh, have an impact. So, uh, yeah, hopefully lots of people are seeing it and watching it on NBC and getting excited and. We'll see more Absolutely. questions about it coming around on Facebook in the next few days. Um, speaking of that, uh, you know, this is uh, I probably should have started off with this, but I'd like to give a shout out to Dave for his excellent presentation at the the DAC. And uh, also to uh, I think it was task group five uh, on the um, facility maps uh, and getting the uh, the the approval on the recommendations that was pretty pretty good yeah as uh, as dan uh, commented in the, his summary of the whole meeting the the upside on the uas facility map tasking group was that the faa accepted the uh, recommendation to split the uh, grid squares so what was approximately one mile squares would now will now be four quarter mile squares so that's po really positive from the perspective of if you live in a in a city area close to an airport, chances are you can now fly or once this is changed. So 2021, is, <laughs> yep. so it's not going to happen uh, overnight, but uh, very positive that they uh, they accepted that. Uh, also, as, uh, as Dan noted, and I want to follow up on it, they made no mention in the uh, response, either in the write-up or in the verbal, uh, with respect to shielded operations. And I so did. we did, uh, we got the... Uh, I brought that up in the tasking group. Uh, the the whole uh, twenty six people in uh, from manufacturers to you know, UAS manufacturers, general aviation associations, etc., was very well received, and they were very mm -hmm. supportive of the idea. We put it in the recommendation, and unfortunately, the FAA um, looks like they've just ignored that uh, recommendation. Yeah, I was right. wondering if I had just missed something or what, but they talked yeah. like, "Oh, here's the FAA's response to all this other stuff," and they acted like that was not in the submission whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. It, it was really interesting. So, you know, for for those wondering why the breakup of of those segments in UAS facility map is is important, Dan uh, kind of interacts with this on a regular basis where um, you could be on the outskirts of a particular cube or square on the on the facility maps and it may not require you to use Lance um, if you're just on one side of it, but it's still within the, the, the square, but it's not within the circle. And it gives a little bit of a, a delineation. Also, um, with those squares being kind of broken up more, there can be a greater range of areas where, you know, there's there may be, you know, less zero space or less 100 foot space. Um, exactly. Exactly. It, in terms of being able to fly at greater altitudes. Um, so that's a pretty big win and uh, I do appreciate that. And then the other one um, that I wanted to mention, it was part of the same uh, uh, recommendation was uh, using more, more data to kind of delineate where those altitudes would be addressed. Um, so at the beginning of, of the UAS facility maps and, and Lance, my understanding was that um, the airports themselves, when they submitted those, those uh, altitude, the, the airports themselves submitted those altitudes. They weren't necessarily data-driven or risk assessment-driven, um, whereas yeah. with the yeah, new the recommendation. The local air traffic management folks were given a very short amount of time. They were given criteria and spreadsheets and mm -hmm. at asked quote to turn it around very very quickly so there was not a lot of data not a lot of time and so we we um, were very fortunate we had uh, on that tasking group we had um, the chair of the group was uh, the ceo of reno tahoe airport authority 
Mm -hmm. uh, Dean Schultz with the uh, EVP had the same authority, uh, and I worked on on that group and led the the whole team. Uh, we had uh, multiple uh, air traffic management from Alaska, LAX, Memphis, um, DFW. So there were some really top notch uh, air traffic management people, and they were not defensive. It was just amazing. I, I think they came on. Uh, because they they joined after the the group formed, mm -hmm. and so there was a coalition or a caucus of air traffic management, and once they got the feel of the group, boy, they were just incredibly helpful, and mm -hmm. so they were very interested in we would like better data, and so we came up with the idea of using uh, the various uh, uh, takeoff and landing tracks, of using structure data, and the FAA helped, and so it was that yeah that was a, a very that, um, it was a, what we thought would be uh, a very fractious or very contentious set of discussions turned out very quickly to be uh, very supportive on, yeah, let's do this. Let's do a better job this next time. And so it was, so I, I was very heartened that the, uh, the reaction from the FAA uh, was consistent with that, was very positive, mm -hmm. with the exception of shielded operations, which was right. a, a null response. So we'll... See if we can get an answer on that. Yeah, absolutely. And if not, we need to figure out a way to work it into the next desk. <laughs> yep. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Keep pushing. Um, That's right. So yeah, the other. Oh, go ahead. And this is it. Just it. It underscores our approach in FPVFC, which is to try to change things from within. Is mm -hmm. that because we were working and uh, on that tasking group and subsequent groups? Now five of them. I think we've had an influence on, not I think, I'm, I know we've had an influence on mm -hmm. uh, creating and adding recreational content to the recommendations that have gone to the FAA. So here's uh, some good tangible uh, results on that. Absolutely. And I, I was about to say, you know, in, in response to the safety culture presentations uh, of, of keynote was uh, the, the recreational one and, and, as well as the, the small small operator one that you that you presented for and i think the the key takeaway from that and we've been talking about it for months is the the one size does not fit all you know and i think uh even more key was uh you know citing that you know there wasn't one or or even you know any major uh safety violations or or incidents that would pr that would you know uh result in in uh crazy regulation um yeah and so. we, we brought we brought up a number of times and the the manned aviation group was getting a little tired hearing about it uh, that, <laughs> and the la you know there, there are uh we and we it was worded very carefully there have been no records of fatalities of uh, uas uh flights that were electric electrically powered Mm -hmm. And so, and we wanted to, you know, there, there have been a number of uh, fatalities over the last 20 years in uh, model airplanes. And mm -hmm. it's a, it's, I think, five or six in the United States. And uh, one was a helicopter and there were, uh, there was one that was a, uh, a spectator, but you know, the, it's literally, you know, a handful as opposed to the thousands that, um, you know, the general created with, you know, with general aviation. So, the number is zero uh, electrically powered drones. That's, you know, everyone was okay, okay with that. And from that, we got two phrases that were really important. The one is what, is what you said, Josh, that one size does not fit all. And we got absolutely everyone to key on that one and agree mm -hmm. with it. And the other was that we want regulations to be proportionate to the risks. And that's all about, look, it's safe. So mm -hmm. what do you want the regulations to be if it's safe? So, and uh, this is, you know, I, we all feel that uh, a lot of the NPRM from Remote ID was uh, created on a security basis, which was behind the uh, the green curtain. So we'll, uh, uh, it wasn't based on uh, safety. So we'll we'll see. Or that's my personal speculation. So we'll see uh, what comes of it in the final rule. Yeah, there yeah. was a lot of great quotes from the that DAC meeting. <laughs> And I, <laughs> I don't think you had a chance to say it, Dave, but in the ebook, it definitely talked about um, that zero deaths where it said, it is important to note small commercial UAS operations have had zero deaths in the U.S. Yes. Yeah. 
And then yep. also the, the recreational brought up, let's see, how did they state it exactly? That uh, the subgroup could not identify a repeatable history of significant safety issues to mitigate. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That was the, I, when I, when I heard Rich say that, I was like, yeah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of note, you know, you, you, you see me uh, defending DJI as a, as mm -hmm. a company and uh, one of the, uh, one of the individuals that one of the DAC members who also sat on both the recreational as well as the small commercial was Brendan Schulman. Mm -hmm. And so he was uh, very, uh, very helpful and uh, in helping form and uh, convince the rest of the groups that this is the way to go. So he was, of course, instrumental in the those six tenants that we put together, as well mm -hmm. as uh, the creation of the uh, what was the final report in the recreational and the small and commercial. Yep. One of the other big things I saw that I sort of highlighted was uh, they talked about that the FAA needs to build trust and not impose their authority Right. Um, both of which are definitely things the FPV uh, community has issues with with the FAA right now. Yes. I don't that's, know that's, how was... they solve those problems, but there definitely are issues. I, yeah, I, I agree completely. And what was so interesting is the more Part 107 folks that we talked to, they had a different view. It was very, you know, in the surveys, in the conversations, their view was like, well, you know, it's not, you know, it's not so bad. And, you know, it's, you know, I, I, you know, whenever I talk to the FAA, they're very supportive and, you know, a completely different view from what we get with in recreational. So that that's why we, yeah, in the recreational group, we keyed on that pretty heavily that you know, there's a, a reputational problem and it, you know, before you can uh, get a, a very large community or well, 1.3 million people mm -hmm. to embrace a safety culture you need to be trusted and that, you know, that needs to, you know, so all of the rest of the groups, the, the national, the traditional small commercial are very different from recreational. And, and I think we successfully brought that out. Absolutely. And I think, you know, part of that culture, that, that distrust is, is part of uh, part and parcel of the FPV community. And that, I, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just kind of where its roots come from in the, you know, kind of gorilla type of uh, uh, flying that a lot of FPVers are uh, keen on. And at the same time, you know, I think there's that natural distrust. I mean, a lot of this, I would imagine, you know, it, it gets compared to a lot, but skateboard culture kind of almost directly translates over to FPV culture in, in you know, in some form or fashion. And I think that that natural distrust kind of rolled with it. But at the same time, there's an opportunity there for the FAA to, instead of enforce, partner with the community. And I think, uh, you know, the the presentation that Rich was doing brought up some key points in, in uh, going to recreational events and, and in a, in a teaching capacity, in a, in a promoting capacity. Um, and uh, kind of go at it from that way. And yes, TechJet, I would agree that the NPR didn't didn't build much trust either. And I think that the the slow noose that uh, we sometimes feel is coming uh, kind of doesn't help that either. But you know right. that remains to be seen what happens with the remote ID. But you know it, it's going to be interesting to see how that fleshes out. And I'll be interested to see how the FAA decides that it wants to partner with the recreational community. And that's not just, you know, you know, park flyers. That's that's gonna be, you know, the the FPV community uh, as well. And I think you need to win those folks over if you want any kind of lasting impact. So yeah, I'd be uh, curious to know if the FAA showed mm -hmm. up at or was invited to like IO or some big event. Like <laughs> how would I'm that sure. go over? Well, you know, the funny thing is, is I'm sure that they're probably there, but are they there in the capacity that they should be in or are they there in an enforcement capacity? So, you know, I, I'm sure that there's auditors that go out to uh, those, those fields. So, 
Yeah, we talked about that because I.O. is hosted right on the AMA grounds, right up in yes. Indiana. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we had uh, Chad uh, Boudreau and uh, Rich Hansen uh, chairing the recreational group. And that was a, an event that I brought up. And I said, look, it's, you know, it's right in, you know, it's literally, you know, Chad, you know, right, right there where you're working. And so they, they were very receptive to that. And they liked that idea. And also, mm-hmm. the other part of it is that we're, we uh, had discussions with the FAA on, their lexicon starts with you know characterizations like well you know we're worried about the careless and clueless and and our our view was like stop stop right mm-hmm. there yeah uh, they keep bringing you, that up if you're yeah if you're going to paint you know any percentage of our population as careless and clueless when the safety record is so spotless you know you're going to get a negative response and you're not going to help trust so uh, this is where uh we in the recreational and the small and commercial keyed on the the psychological side and the relationship mm-hmm. side where you saw the traditional and national groups you know um, moving on to well you know we think we've got that you know this, the culture is really about process and paperwork and reporting and that's not to uh, denigrate that at all and it's um they have great processes for uh, what are very risky operations in uh, manned aviation and uh, you know we're I think we were successful in bringing um, a lot of you know a lot of people were opening their eyes and accepting that mm-hmm. we have a different situation in recreational and small and commercial, and yep. hence the not you know no one size fits all. Yep, and so, that yeah, that absolutely. talk about all the paperwork is definitely scary to a lot of recreational pilots. Like how Canada sort of has that whole idea of a logbook. Like so, every time mm-hmm. you fly, you're supposed to record it, and every repair and maintenance and replacement of a part, like. That just wouldn't work for what we do. Right. Yeah, right. it's like bit my prop back into position, you know. <laughs> at, I nicked a 21, tree. 2115 hours, you know. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. It, interestingly, it does appear that the uh, the NASA safety reporting infrastructure that exists for Mandy av- Aviation is close to completion for UAS. And uh, Jay Merkel referenced this uh, one mm-hmm. time uh, through the DAC discussion, and so this is a voluntary and anonymous reporting. And so I have a safety incident, and you know I, I'm I'm worried about it, and oh, gosh, you know I I know that it was a, an issue, and I report it, and I describe this is what happened, and maybe it was equipment, maybe it was pilot, but this is this is what happened. NASA is paid by the FAA to take that form, remove all of the pilot information from it, and they're meticulous. I mean, if you if you think you can, oh, you know, so what? They didn't give me the the name of the of the pilot in, in command. I'll just triangulate and figure out where he was. No, these are this is NASA, and <laughs> they have done a heck of a good job of making these reports anonymous before they turn it over to uh, the FAA. And so they're, they then turn these safety reports over to the FAA in, uh, you know, in, you know, in a database so they can be spliced mm-hmm. and diced and analyzed. And they have the same thing gearing up for UAS. So that, that's, I think another 2021 deliverable. Yeah. Yeah. I, all, I think that's, it's all I mean, be, I, it's all going to be in 2021. <laughs> can it's we like be in 2021 yet <laughs> yeah that's right it's like a, it's like a pro- product development story you know? right when is that gonna when's that gonna be out next year well is that is that will that be next year next year <laughs> uh so the other interesting uh thing i thought that came out of the dac and uh, you know sorry to interrupt the news for this but i i feel it's probably a little more interesting was the uh, new task group on uh, remote ID impact on low-flying operators. Um, and it was interesting to note that, you know, only 30 people responded and that a good chunk of them responded that basically I'm too busy to deal with that. It was basically the gist that I got. They're, they're, they're busy dealing with, you know, current obstacles, you know, they're, you know, flying their helicopter, which takes an enormous amount of concentration, I can imagine, um, you know, doing whatever tasks that they need to do, whether that's filming or, or crop dusting or, or whatever it is that they're doing. Uh, and they're just like, yeah, without, you know, some kind of basic, you know, system that keeps it to the side, you know, there's, there's, it seems like there's almost like too much, it's too much information. 
So I guess the way I interpreted it was uh, that the FAA didn't like the answers they got from their current yeah. <laughs> when when they were RFI. asking people from the RFI. Yeah. So we want to ask somebody else until we get the answers we're looking for. Because basically, they well, just said, well, at least when they were talking about remote ID, that hey, this isn't about safety, and so why are you asking us this? It's right. it doesn't improve safety at all. Sorry. Yeah, that that was kind of the gist too. Is like, yeah, I mean, that information isn't valid to me. Yeah, so yeah, it's I'm, it's pretty inf- interesting. I'm quite excited about that tasking group. Yeah, because I, I agree. The I agree with you both. The the FAA, you know, that in from what I heard, they didn't like the answers they got. And the there is a there's a lot going on from helicopter pilots who are police, they're fire, they're search and rescue on fixed mm-hmm. wing. It is as you mentioned, crop dusters, and these are folks who are flying you know, under 400 feet all the time. Mm-hmm. And so they're you know, it's that this is part of the general aviation community that is in the airspace that will mix with uh, with UAS. Yes. So you know to there are the associations have a very hard line on detect and avoid is the responsibility of UAS full stop. We don't want anything to do with UAS. That's they should figure it out on their own. Yeah. And so that, you know, that we feel is, you know, not a really great response. And we have in a couple of the tasking groups, some of the air traffic management personnel have said, you know, it's really, it's really be, would be great if we had information that, you know, that if we wanted to know, we could see, oh, is there a drone flying over here? Did someone get Lance, you know, approval? You know, we don't need, you know, as we all know, if you're in one of these now more than 700 airports that uh, support Lance, you can get um, approval. And so the, these folks are, you know, they're uh, optimistic and they want to be, you know, part of it and aware. And so there is a, a contingent that's like, no, hang on a second. You know, having the data and integrating it into our system, and that is, you know, a, a, a more of an open mind of UTM and ATM. So, you know, UAS traffic management and air mm-hmm. traffic management, as opposed to, <laughs> nope, we don't want, we don't even want them to be aware that the other exists. So I'm I'm really encouraged that this is a step forward. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's a lot of people who would like to turn it around and say there's way more unmanned aircraft out there. Why doesn't the manned aircraft let us know when they're in the airspace so that we can avoid them? <laughs> exactly, and and right. that of course that of course was the um, uh, the position that we documented in the remote ID uh, DAC recommendation to the FAA. And so the mm-hmm. the phrase that we said is. You know, if it's if it's being flown by a person, it should be squawking. And so you know, the view is we don't care if it's a uh, an ultralight or if it's a J3 uh, cub or if it's a steerman or a sop, you know, sop with pup. We don't care. It should be squawking. Yeah, and and I agree be... with TextJet. I knew you can generally hear them coming, but you also hear stories of, you know, this helicopter came out of nowhere because it was flying 100 flying feet off yeah. the ground but oh exactly i was flying i was uh, training uh, fixed at an ars ama field training a, a student pilot and i had a a huey come uh, buzz our field at uh, under 100 feet and uh, i had to make sure that the uh, the student was well away as this uh, this huey came buzzing our our field i'm sure it was fun for him uh, <laughs> and and, le- and legal uh, but it was, uh, you know, it could have been a real mess if we yeah. had run in, run into his aircraft. Or did you see, I think XJet had one of his recent videos. They had like a jet flying day at their airfield. And somebody decided to come and do a bunch of touch and goes on the runway while it was closed for RC jets. <laughs> and they just came in, did a bunch of landings and then took off. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. don't notice all of these jets that just parked when you came in and are staring at you as you're riding by. Really, mm-hmm. really, and so I agree that you know sound is a good a uh, good indicator. But uh, you know what we're what we would like is you know, right now uh, the coverage or you know the number of manned aircraft that have ADSB out in the United States is about fifty to fifty six percent. And so you know it would be great if that were much closer to a hundred percent, and then we could integrate and it would lower the burden for us. And you know most of us know that. DJI now ships with an ADSB receiver in anything above 250 grams. So, 
know, that type of you know, receiving is capable. And of course, as stated in the remote ID NPRM, you know, we shouldn't ask for, and it would saturate the bandwidth. To, so we're not pushing for ADSB out uh, in UAS. Yeah, that no. was another thing that the the one of the answers they got back from the manned aviation was, well, yeah, we already have ADSB. Tell all the drones to use it. Which obviously no, 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 in the no. NPRM <laughs> was the exact opposite. Which was another part of well, the FAA didn't like their answer. Right, yeah, and text text jets on it on ADSB and yep. Yeah, I mean, two things. I mean, an extra an extra signal coming out of our quads is probably not the best thing. Um, or you know, any UAS. I mean, we're already dealing with you know at least one, um, if not two, when you're talking signal and video, um, or control and video, but. You know, having that extra saturation overall is just a bad idea in general as well. So, I mean, in a in a world that's already overpopulated by by uh, you know radio frequencies, um, adding adding that quantity is is probably yeah. yeah I would agree, Texjet. I mean, a detect is is you know definitely a different story. But at the same time, what's what's going to be the techno technology jump for amateur? I think is going to be the interesting segment. So, yeah. and this this keys on um, did it uh, transmit that um, Houston Mills at the end of the discussion when Michael, gosh, I'm going to get his last name messed up. The chair, Charles Clawson, mm-hmm. asked for additional comments, and Houston Mills, uh, VP uh, UPS uh, Flight Operations. Uh, spoke up and said, I'd like some flexibility on the type certification, particularly and obviously for UAS. And so he said, I'd like this considered by the FAA as a future uh, tasking group initiative. Yep. That's That was really significant in the sense that we've now gotten a couple of hints from things that Administrator Dixon has said uh, that... If you're going to fly BV LOS or above people, you're probably going to need a 135 or I don't want to say 91 certification, and the aircraft will need to be type certified. So all of that in you know, in extreme uh, you know, abbreviations and gobbledygook, you know, to me nets out to that there's going to be a real delineation if it's going to be BV LOS, it's probably going to have to have some sort of remote ID transponder on it. The airframe is going to be under lots of restrictions, and the pilot is going to be required to have a lot more training and testing than a Part 107. That's, Could you explain real got... quick what uh, type certification is? It's the manufacturing uh, certification and airworthiness uh, sign-off by the AFA of a manufacturer. So somebody like DJI builds and designs a drone. They send one to the FAA. They say, yep, this one's good to go, but only this they, exact model. They test it for a year. You know, they, uh, they take it through. Uh, you know, then you have to prove that the, uh, the quality assurance in your manufacturing location can, can, uh, can produce uh, you know, UAS to that same, you know, to within tolerances. And, and then, yeah, exactly. You know, you have to then, you know, only that, uh, aircraft in that exact configuration, that shape, that you know, that body, that that motor, that those battery. motors, that yeah, everything. So I don't know if it's you know it goes into the internals, but uh, it is absolutely you know external uh, configuration. Yeah, definitely interesting. It was funny I think when they they brought up that tasking group for the remote ID uh, low altitude. Uh, how many different people it was just like, oh yeah, I'm real interested in this. <laughs> yes, yeah, very popular topic. I think I think they got they got a great guy uh, running it, and um, uh, I want to say Ryan, James Ryan Burgess, CEO yeah. of Wing, and, yeah. and good, you know, so uh, Mr. Burgess was an RC, uh, still is an RC pilot, uh, flies UAS. And within Wing, there are a number of hobbyists, and I was able to thank him back in February. They put forward a very pro-recreational comment in their response to the uh, remote ID NPRM, indirect 
contrast to the Amazon response. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that definitely was something that stood out to me too, is how he was talking about his how he got started and model aviation and recreation got him into the hobby and got him into aviation and got him to where he is now. And that mm -hmm. definitely makes me feel like that's part of why Google or Wings NPRM was response was the way it was. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. He, he's understanding where, where people are coming from into the, into the industry. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's pretty key. Um, and it's nice to kind of have, you know, that it's, you know, not direct representation, but that side representation, you know, that 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 lateral where he he, he currently is a recreational pilot. Brendan Schulman's currently a recreational pilot. You know, those kind of folks, you know, kind of, you know, kind of sort of help flesh out the recreational side um, on the DAC. And I think that's a, a key thing to really remember that just because they're Google or just because they're DJI doesn't necessarily mean that they aren't pro recreation. Exactly. So. Um, so anyway, I, I just wanted to, uh, touch on that and definitely thank and congratulate you on a great presentation and obviously all the amazing amount of work. I'm sure that that went into getting those responses and working with, uh, such a diverse, uh, group of people, uh, from so many different, uh, industries. Um, yeah, yeah thank, thank you. It was, uh, it was getting close to 20 hours a week, uh, for a bit and, uh, uh, I, and also on this call, Alex Suarez was on the recreational subgroup and was mm -hmm. a very uh, uh, a great contributor. And so my thanks to Alex as well. Yes, and, thank you, uh, Alex. And Alex, we want you uh, studying. And uh, you know, if you have to choose between working on a DAC project and studying, we want you studying. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> studying. <laughs> he's, he's young. He doesn't have to sleep, right? I know. Sleep is, <laughs> sleep is optional and overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, but thank you, Josh. Uh, while we're yeah, talking absolutely. about the DAC, I'm curious if anybody else has any questions for Dave or any of us about the DAC, what happened at the meeting, anything like that. Ask if you Dave didn't some get tough an questions. Yeah, if you didn't get an opportunity to watch it, it is posted on YouTube. Uh, if you just search Drone uh, Advisory Committee, it's the first one that pops up. You can watch it at um, one and a half times speed to cut it down yep. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> one of my I could do tricks. what I did is, you know, I listened to, you know, I skimmed it. So I, I, I listened to, you know, several sentences on a slide, read the slide, moved on to the next slide, you know, right. but yeah. definitely I catch could... the key points. <laughs> Dave and the chipmunks. That's yeah, what it right. sounds like. <laughs> yeah. I guess I have a squeaky enough voice. <laughs> and, and if you watch the video, you get to see, like, I think during Elaine Chow's introductory video, Dave's video is uh, pinned in the top yeah. right corner for a while. It's <laughs> because oh, he's got an amazing mic that picks up everything. <laughs> no, I, you know, I definitely had it muted. I, I don't know why I was there. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, because I didn't. Yeah, I didn't use the Zoom to mute. I just used my mic. Yeah, not, who knows? Yeah. But yeah. it was pretty funny. Yeah, I don't know why it happened, but yeah, I'm just like, oh, hey, there's Dave. <laughs> Dave's the key person, which is <laughs> and true. In a jacket and tie. You know, yep, absolutely. Doing, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully not too early. I'm hoping that they do another virtual in February, uh, 2021. But the. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's you know, I know that uh, everyone in the FAA uh, would look forward to doing these in uh, in person again, and uh, to everyone listening, that that's uh, uh, a lot of what we use uh, the funds for is to travel, and uh, we want to get out to uh, FPV events across the country as well as uh, DAC participation. So, if you're wondering you know, what is it that uh, your dues are going for, uh, you know we're all volunteer, and uh, it is a ton of time. Uh, on things like the DAC, and as uh, Dan was saying, just putting together the video took him to that little summary video was three days of work. So, yeah, a lot of time, a lot of energy. But the, you know what the money goes to is largely is travel. And yep. I'm sure Absolutely. there's a lot of politics that happens in person that doesn't happen when you're virtual. Yeah, you got it, schmoozing. Yeah, and that that's one of the things that I've mentioned in the past is that uh, we've had the opportunity of meeting uh, almost the entire uh, DAC uh, membership. And so I've gotten to work with a bunch of them, and uh, they have uniformly been helpful in giving us uh, advice on how we can better uh, and be more effective as a uh, an advocate for our uh, recreational uh, flyers. So 
yeah, at that uh, yeah after over an adult beverage is definitely a a great way to uh, uh, to get things done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think that's the key is you know with with COVID and and that kind of thing. I would say that that personal interaction, that side, those sidebars that I'm sure happen all the time at meetings like that, those are the key points to to building those relationships. So it'll be yeah. nice when we can get back to that. Yeah, and from you know, when I worked from uh, from home for 20 years, so you know, you 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 learn how to you know pick up the phone and call the uh, you know each individual and uh, and you know have a, a little conversation on the side, mm-hmm. and that's extremely effective. Absolutely. But and take takes a little time. So yeah, going back to Dan's point, does anybody have any questions about the DAC or anything that we've talked about thus far? I'm sure they all watched the meeting and read the hundred plus page <laughs> ebook <laughs> and have no questions. Hey, I, I was able to squish through it in about an hour. So mm-hmm. if you're if you're you know keen to watch it, it's it's definitely uh worth a watch and it's interesting i mean i think it's interesting hearing the different viewpoints from the different dac members not only during the presentation but afterwards when they comment make suggestions mm-hmm. and and whatnot so i thought it was also um, good to compare what was in the ebook versus what was in the slides because not mm-hmm. everything that the task groups um recommended was actually in the you know the presentations because those are shortened for time i'm sure yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Mine, mine should have been uh, one, uh, one for one. I, I was, I was striving for a hundred percent at least on the topic area, and you yeah, know, I certainly had to miss detail underneath. But you know, I was uh, striving for. You know, I was very, very careful mm-hmm. on those slides. That's why they were so uh, dense with, uh, yes. with, with ink. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on from the DAC. Um, uh, let's see, I've got, uh, this is interesting, not so much on the topic itself, uh, but something that they say within it. So this article is on uh, FAA uh, pressing for anti-UAS testing. And basically the FAA is looking for uh, four airports to help it help test its drone detection systems. And they're looking for a contractor to facilitate those tests and other capabilities. So, um, <clears throat> Currently, the only airport that has signed on to this is the Atlantic City International Airport in New Jersey. Um, But uh, if you go further down in the article, they talk about the project and whatnot. But um, they state uh, unauthorized drones in protected airspace are a growing problem for federal that federal authorities only see getting worse. Although the pandemic put a damper on big public gatherings beginning last winter, the Department of Justice said in an October 13th statement that it had detected hundreds of unauthorized unmanned aircraft flying near major public events in the last 12 months. The Department of Justice said that between October 1st, 2019 and September 30th, 2020, the FBI's counter drone support for big public sporting and celebration events had detected over 200 drones flying in protected airspace around events. The department said it also seized about a dozen drone aircraft during fiscal 2020 for violating flight restrictions at the events. So um, I just thought that was pretty interesting um, that uh, I'd like to see the data behind that. But at the same time, uh, we do know of a couple. There was a baseball game. Was it the Minnesota? Was it the yeah, Twins the, game? The Twins yeah. game was one earlier this spring, I think. Yeah, and um, where a drone was flying and stopped the game, and it actually landed on the field, right? <laughs> uh, gosh, I don't remember if it did or not, but I but, do know that Kevin Morris, uh, who's also, he's the FAA drone guy, and he also lives in Minnesota, mentioned that they know who the guy was, they caught him, and that he's going to be really sad that he did that. Um, <laughs> be really sad that he did that. <laughs> I forgot the exact well, wording they used, but yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. So obviously they've got ways of tracking people down who do things that they shouldn't be doing. So, you know, why yeah, remote ID? Except for uh, jetpacks around the airport. <laughs> yeah. <Not> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, they did hold up the game until it left. Thank you. Uh, I couldn't remember if that one landed or you know, not. Because but... a DJI Phantom or whatever that was, you know, is going to harm that non-existent crowd of the baseball game because there was no public there. Right, you know, right. It was a cardboard 
Yeah, it's going to hit the cardboard cutouts. <laughs> well, you know, they might have chopped Slice a blade of grass up. or something, you know. So, um, at any rate, I just thought that was interesting. Uh, that yeah, uh, a, I mean, as a as a public surface announcement, um, most of the folks on uh, on this call uh, know that uh, anti or counter UAS is uh, can only be done by you know, under the authorization of a federal agency. And it's absolutely uh, prohibited uh, for any any citizen. So as we know, you know our uh, FPV aircraft are protected by federal law right now. So shooting down a uh, any of our drones is a felony. Which so also this... happened in Minnesota this year. <laughs> hey, you know, it's all... we need you to talk to your people, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of those was like sixty miles north of me, and one was like thirty miles south of me. Okay, Jeez. so. We need a PR campaign from Dan for the people of Minnesota because apparently they're all off their rockers right now. So um, anyway, (laughs) let's see. Um, The other thing that was interesting is that the FBI FBI has a counter drone uh, department. So, hey, that's super interesting. Um, So it says, uh, although the period covered events held in the months before the pandemic uh, forced the cancelization of large public gathering, it also included 2020 Fourth of July celebrations in Washington, D.C. In addition, the Department of Justice said federal prosecutors also brought charges against two people on September 28th for flying a drone in protected airspace during the civil unrest in Portland, Oregon. Um, And the DOJ vowed to step up its drone detection program as the pandemic recedes. So uh, definitely interesting um, on that front. Um, This one is also interesting. Uh, FAA is opening the door uh, a crack for self-flying drones like Skydio to reach their potential. So um, the article kind of starts off that's, you know, with a little bit of misinformation and a little fact checking needed. It says you can't fly a drone at night. You can't fly a drone over people. You need to be able to see it with your naked eye at all times or have a dedicated observer who can. So obviously, recreationally, you can still fly at night. Uh, part 107, however, uh, is a different story. Uh, these rules exist to keep dumb drones and reckless pilots from crashing into people, property, and other aircraft in the skies. Um so, uh, but it, but what happens when drones get smarter and can dodge obstacles on their own? Uh, that's the kind of drone that Scottio builds. Um, the FAA has granted the North Carolina Department of Transportation a blanket waiver to fly Scottio drones beyond visual line of sight to inspect any bridge anywhere across the state for full four whole years. Um, Let's see. So they primarily need to make sure the bridge isn't occupied by random people and fly within 50 feet of the bridge and 1,500 feet of the drone's pilot. Uh, and they provide a copy of the full waiver. So that's a pretty intense uh, blanket waiver, uh, a four-year yeah. waiver to uh, test with yeah. Skydio drones. Yeah, that is pretty good. So And uh, uh, TextJet has written uh, that part 107, you need to have a, a bright light that's visible from three statute miles. In addition, you need a waiver. You, you, yes. cannot, you cannot simply fly at night. Was that uh, something that uh, changed over the past few years? I don't remember, uh, but I definitely have, have heard that you don't, that, yeah, yeah the, you the can't latest, fly at night. The latest, yeah, the latest is definitely no flying at night, and they define it as 30, min- 30 minutes after, and this is one of the test questions. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, it's, uh, last October, the U- uh, UPS uh, won FAA approval to operate a drone airline with a Part 135 standards certification, um, and Amazon's Prime Air got the same certification too, as well as the Chula Vista Police Department in California got approval to fly Skydio drones beyond visual line of sight in emergency situations as long as they didn't fly higher than 50 feet of the nearest obstacle. Now, this is an interesting statement because this brings back into play shielded operations so they granted the chula vista police department basically shielded operations authority in emergency situations and also to stay within 1500 feet of the pilot and return to visual line of sight as soon as practical so you know number one they're doing basic shielded operations number two you know, in the remote ID in PRM, we were given a 400-foot bubble, uh, whereas they're granting 1,500 feet here. So this is the part I thought that was interesting. 
Um, and they're calling it tactical beyond visual line of sight. So, hey, that's right. super and intense sounding. And this, this is well, it, this is also important because the uh, the in order to uh, get that tactical uh, waiver capability, you have to have uh, a one thirty five uh, uh, certification. They also want. I'm pretty sure they want you to have a six a um, six uh, certificate sixty one. So you have to have a, you have to be a pilot uh, to be able to fly general aviation aircraft. Um, in order and, to do in that. order to do this. So it's yeah. like oh, so. You know, our our good friend Mark Colburn, who is a a colonel in the uh, Dallas uh, police, flies helicopter. You know, he could he literally could do this. But you know how many how many people are there across the country that you know, want Within to fly the... want to fly a drone in a uh, SAR uh, capability and have a full you know have their pilot, yeah. you know, full scale pilot's license and not just any license. Yeah, it it this is a higher rating. Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting part as well is that they're granting somebody basically shielded operations with you know and i i don't it has a link to the approval and i i haven't read it i'm ashamed to say but i'm interesting if there's a height limit or if it's just 50 feet higher than the nearest obstacle what if that building's you know a thousand feet tall you know so um definitely a a case point to allow shielded operations overall you know, even, I mean, for recreational, keep it bo- below 400, but shielded operations, I mean, just absolutely makes sense. So um, anyway, um, I just wanted to kind of toss that out there. Pretty interesting that they're getting a blanket waiver um, in order to conduct bridge uh, inspections. Um, and definitely uh, a whole lot safer, I would imagine, than uh, a person physically going under the bridge and trying to do that. Um, as well as a time saver. But uh, the shielded operations part is really what kind of flew out at me. So, anywho, we got texture. If you can't see, it doesn't matter if you are 1,500 feet or two miles away, don't get it. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I would imagine that they're they're trying to, you know, instill some segment of, of keeping it near you. I'm sure um, they'll say it's a situational awareness kind of thing. You'll still have some right. idea if manned aircraft are in the area or something. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, from that yeah. perspective, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I will, I, I mean, you know, with the exception of, of potential long range applications and, and not that I'm throwing long range under the bus, um, I don't fly long range for the most part. So, you know, I mean, 1,500 feet, that's a lot of space, you know, and if that's a 15, I mean, essentially that's a 3,000 foot bubble diameter, you know, so that's a, that's a pretty, pretty good amount of space. So, um, although at 99 miles an hour, you can cover that really quick, really quickly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You sure. Interestingly, the Pathfinder three report that the precision Hawk uh, ran had a a lot of discussion on this about the visual observers and extended visual observer. And Mm -hmm. so they, yeah, yeah. It's so the application of uh, physics and common sense does not necessarily apply here. Right. So, at any rate, um, this was a pretty good article uh, for anybody wanting a little detail into Lance and UAS facility maps. This is from uh, SUAS News. Um, I'm not going to really like dive into it. We've covered Lance and, and the UAS facility maps, especially today. We've covered the facility maps in, in pretty good detail. But um, this is a great uh, tool to figure out um, how they... Uh, coincide together how they work together um and just gives you a little more insight into what's going on uh the other cool thing is they called out the drone advisory committee on the two recommendations uh uh the grid sc- being that the grid square be uh made smaller and uh using algorithms and data that uh utilize multiple data sources to figure out the altitudes for those particular uh grid squares so they did uh also congratulate you and your team dave <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and so. Effie Effie Needham from CNN Air for that great gra- set of graphics that we used. That was uh, mm-hmm. definitely helped uh, a pretty dry topic come alive. Yeah, absolutely. All right, um, I'm gonna try and quickly get through. I'm just gonna do uh, 
A uh, quick couple more. Uh, this one also comes from SUAS News. Uh, ASTM International signs a memorandum of understanding with uh, ASD stand uh, for remote ID. Um, so ASTM, which uh, we are very familiar with uh, in terms of their remote ID uh, solutions. Um, and, and a member. And, yep. And, 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 and going to volunteer for the F-38 uh, var- various uh, work efforts. Yep. Um, they are, uh, they signed a memorandum of understanding uh, with, uh, let's see, I think this is the European, uh, basically the European version of the ASTM. Um, so this brings uh, kind of a, a understanding between the two and kind of promotes a, a kind of across the board standards. Right. Uh, and, and even though the A and ASTM is American, the ASTM is an international, international. organization. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but uh, they, uh, they do, uh, they have more than 500, the F38 uh, committee, uh, which Dave was talking about, has more than 528 members from 25 different countries who oversee 25 standards covering the airworthiness, flight operations, and personnel training qualification and certification for drones. Um, so the ASD STAN uh, represents the European interest for the standardization. So um, this could bring about a little more uh, standardization across uh, the globe in terms of drones and, and whatnot. And it to be, you know, a, a good thing in terms of being able to understand what you can do in one place versus the other, but also, you know, have a working group together that can uh, bridge a couple of divides in terms of technology and regulations and that kind of thing, which could be very impactful. Uh, right. And, and uh, of course in our comments, as well as uh, DJI's, as well as many other uh, institutions, organizations complained to the FAA that they, the FAA ignored the ASTM recommendations on remote ID. And interestingly, Jay Merkel has repeatedly said that a direction that the FAA is going is to utilize reference standards. And so the ASTM creates reference standards. So it's faster for the FAA to look at an ASTM standard, accept parts of it that are acceptable and reject parts of it that are not. So that gets us to a final rule regardless of the topic, much more quickly. So working with the ASTM is yet another way to influence regulations directly. All right. So I'm going to do these last two very quickly. Um, I'm sorry we're going over a little bit, guys. Um, So this one is on UAvionics, which we talked about probably last time, if not the time before that, in filing for a patent uh, for their um, drone transponder. Um, the interesting thing is not so much that they uh, have received that patent, but that they're filing for uh, a technical standard order uh, with the FAA Aircraft Certification Office. The interesting part of this is is it's using uh, ADSB out as a drone transponder, which the FAA has already come out and said that they're not about. So UAVionics, in case... For those who don't know, they're a part of the Commercial Drone Alliance. Um, and uh, at the same time, there is there something we don't know? <laughs> I guess would be the question. Why would they be creating something that the FAA has already basically touted in the NPRM that they're not even going to you know, field that question kind of thing? So yeah, I'd could, say maybe it's be. for the rest of the world, but I don't think a lot of the rest of the world uses ADSB. Correct. They do not. It might my, my read on this is it must be. Yeah, there's uh, artwork or processes that they're also covering, trying to get uh, covered in the patent, and the ADSB is just a you know placeholder. They didn't want to put what the technology is that they're going to drop in. Uh, so that might be an interesting yeah idea. So uh, they're saying this unit weighs 50 grams. Uh, that's a lot on one of our quadcopters. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> Like, that's a whole GoPro session, most of it. So uh, at any rate, uh, just wanted to throw that out there. And this one, this one you can peruse on your own time. Um, I think Dave sent this to me. This was the uh, five common myths about DJI. Um, 
So definitely an interesting read. Uh, they talk about uh, sending pictures and flight information uh, to China. Uh, they talk about uh, whether your customer data will be shared with the Chinese government, um, that DJI is funded or owned by the government of China. They bust all these myths about DJI. Um, and, uh, you know, so uh, definitely an interesting read. I will, you know, state that it does come from the DJI Viewpoints team. However, uh, definitely some good information as well as organizations who have uh, reviewed DJI's drones and software systems to ensure that they are uh, trusted. Uh, basically, they can be trusted to not send your information out to uh, people who you don't want to have them, uh, including government agencies. So, um, and and how they uh, basically work with uh, the Chinese government or don't work with would be the more important thing. Basically, yeah. they state that DJI can't give you give your data to the government, the Chinese government, if they don't have your data. And so, uh, it's not a state owned, um, enterprise. It's a privately held company and they have 2000 engineers working on drones. Yes. So definitely a good read. Um, it's quick, maybe five, 10 minutes of your time. Um, and, uh, definitely has a lot of information beyond it. There's links throughout the entire document. Um, that you can click on it and even go uh, deeper down the rabbit hole there. So yeah. one obvious uh, thing to a lot of people is that there's no way your DJI drone is sending your photos and videos to China because you would notice like, yeah, if they, it was going out your cell yeah. phone connection, it would take all day to upload. So yeah, absolutely. So, um, definitely, definitely interesting. Um, and definitely a good read. So, uh, with that, uh, if there's, does anybody have any questions or comments or concerns? Seems I just like have a um, tiny little teaser from JB here. Yeah. Well, that's a tiny little teaser. <laughs> Did we lose you, Steve? <laughs> Don't leave us hanging. Did he say a, a teaser from JB? Yeah, I'm assuming he means Joshua Bardwell. And then he just left us. Where'd you go, Steve? Oh, I saw him flash. I saw a blink. <laughs> Do you not hear me? There, yeah, now we, we can hear we you. Could not, we cannot hear oh, you. Oh, okay. Were you yes, talking about the, the, the talk thing? Yeah, so Joshua Bergwell, right. This was uh, in his uh, Discord for the know-it-alls. Anyway, um, Terrence Howard going to be joining him on a live stream to promote a moonshot contest he is sponsoring to create a new kind of multi-rotor flight controller. And Ooh. the initial announcement's going out in Quadbox today, so people will be finding out about it very soon. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning it. Absolutely. But uh, it's always nice when mainstream folks uh, bring a little bit of uh, light to the hobby. Yeah, and <laughs> he was at yeah. the protest, if I remember right. Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. He, he did yep. uh, speak at the protest, and... Uh, it was interesting. Uh, definitely having uh, somebody of that uh, caliber uh, be interested in in our our little hobby. So, well, apparently he's in the drones too. So, <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I wouldn't put it past a lot of people. So, um, all right. Anybody else have comments or questions? Uh, sure. I wanted to add one more. I posted this earlier in the FA regulations thing, but the FA is going to be reflecting on the. IPP on Friday. So they're going to have a live stream talking about what they learned and stuff like that from the IPP. And the IPP okay, so is the UAS integration pilot program. Do they have any hints that they're going to continue it, Alex? Or does it look like now this is just a you know, close out and it's what been three years, I think? Uh, I remember at the symposium they talked about they might do it, but in a different way. I see. Might go on, but I think okay. at least. And, and where that, can where can we find a reference to this? Is uh, uh, on the in the re FAA regulations thing. I can post it in the general too. Okay. Yeah, I'll drop it I grabbed it real quick. Oh, it's gonna be live on YouTube. All their yeah. normal. Great. I think we've got it in the general section now. Thank yep. you. Thanks okay. for bringing that up. Let's see. Has the FAA made any recent changes? My local AMA field is. Hiring members to call the tower now. It's a military base. 
Yeah. So, um, if, uh, so military bases don't currently participate in Lance. Um, so that might be why you need to call the tower now. Um, generally I was reading earlier on one of the UAS law discussions that you need a COA. So maybe AMA has been working with the FAA going through every one of their fields, getting a uh, memoranda of, memoranda of understanding and a uh, you know, so appropriate documentation to fly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's probably just uh, uh, one of the stipulations from the from your in your local area. Yeah. So be, that military seems base. weird that the base would want to hear from people every time they go fly, but if that's what they say. Yeah, I mean, I know there was a, a local uh, chapter, uh, just a local little group, uh, the Gilbert Quiet Flyers. I don't know if they're still around, but um, they were pretty close to the Chandler Airport. And uh, anytime uh, you went up uh, or anytime you went to the field to fly, you'd have to call the uh, call the tower. Now, that was before Lance. So, um, but uh, yeah, I, I've, I only flew with them once and uh, that was more of a demonstration of the drums. Not, uh, first person notifies the tower and the last person out notifies. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That was pretty much the pretty pretty standard uh, for the uh, other guys too. Good. That's reasonable. Yeah, so. But yeah, uh, being a military base, that would be a, a, a reason why. Absolutely. So uh, any other questions? All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining. Uh, definitely great discussion um, and uh, definitely some good uh, outcomes from the uh, uh, DAC uh, MIDI, uh, meeting, committee meeting. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, thank you, Dave. Uh, thank you, Dan. Thank you, everybody. Uh, we really do truly yep. appreciate it. Thanks for coming, everybody. And we should be back again in two weeks. Absolutely. Thank All you. Right, Have a good care. evening. Nicely done. Good evening, guys. Thank you.